Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. I'm so glad you're with me today because we come to what is called the Watcher's Crown. We are talking about the crown of righteousness that Paul writes about in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. In our text today, Paul has come to the end of his life. He's giving his final instructions, his final challenge, his final encouragement to the church and to his son in the faith, Timothy. And Paul says what is laid up for him is a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to him on that day. But not to Paul only, to everyone who loves or longs for the appearing of Jesus. Well, friends, that's what we're going to talk about in this final sermon on the crowns series. We've been in a series called Eternal Rewards. I hope that you've been with me through each of them. If not, go to my free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, and listen to the rest of this series because it all builds upon each other. Well, today is the final of the crowns of the five crowns scripture identifies We're going to talk about what the crown of righteousness means, what it represents to our daily life, and how we can look ahead. We can look forward to eternity and what God has promised to those who love him. Well, let's go today, 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, on the crown of righteousness. And today is part five, which is the crown of righteousness. We're going to call it the watcher's crown, the crown of righteousness. Now, remember, Scripture identifies five various crowns, but I believe there are many more that we can win. It's not that there are only five specific crowns. Why is it called the crown of life or the crown of glory or the crown of righteousness or the crown of incorruptibility or the victor's crown? It's because these represent aspects of eternity that we are going to enjoy forever and ever. The crown of righteousness is not just one single crown. It's all the people you disciple, all the people you lead to the Lord. The rejoicing is the aspect of the crown. You're going to rejoice for all of eternity. The crown of life represents eternal life that you're going to enjoy forever and ever. The crown of righteousness, which we're going to identify today, is the fact that you're going to stand in the righteousness of Jesus for all of eternity. So don't think that we are limited to only obtaining five crowns. It's just five were identified to show us the various aspects of what eternal life is going to be for a Christian. Now, Paul is saying his farewell to his son in the faith, Timothy. He's going to say in verse number seven, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This fight, the good fight, this is a beautiful term in the original language in the Greek. What it literally means, the word fight here is where we get our English word agony. In Paul's day, it referred to either an athletic competition, because you think about true Olympic athletes, what kind of agony do they put their body through? 
What kind of discipline do they do? When Paul wrote in Philippians that I press toward the mark of the prize, the word picture there is of a runner when a runner stretches out and he lunges toward the finish line. Think how every muscle is put into agony as you lunge toward the finish line. Paul says, I live my life with that kind of spiritual intensity, with that kind of spiritual focus. Not only does it refer to an athletic competition, but the word fight here also refers to military conquest. Don't this remind us last week when Paul when, when, when Paul wrote and said that Satan hindered us from coming to you, remember what we said that meant? It was a military term, and it's when a military in Paul's day would dig deep trenches in the roads to prevent military movement. And Paul is saying, I have fought the good fight. I've been in the military conquest spiritually. And Paul says, I've been engaged in this thing. Now, what's he truly saying? Sorry, I did not mute it. Technology. If Paul had this, we would have never got the Bible. You know it. <laughs> what is Paul saying? I have fought the good fight. Friends, what he's saying is that you and I are engaged in a warfare in this life. Satan's going to attack you. He's going to attack your family. He's going to attack your home. Don't be surprised. Peter said, don't think it's some strange thing when all this fire comes and touches your life. Why? Because you and I live in a day of spiritual warfare. But Paul says something I want you to notice. If you write in your Bibles, oh, I want you to circle this word. Paul says, I have fought the what fight? The good fight. Let me tell you today. Let me tell you Paul's perspective. Even though you may be fighting hell today. Even though Satan may be launching attacks against you. Even though you may be, uh, you, you, you may be stressed today. Or you may have concern about your life. Let me tell you what Paul says that this fight is. He still says it's a good fight. Amen. Is that your perspective of life's problems? Is that your perspective of spiritual warfare? That even though things get intense in your life, even though Satan buffets you, even though he plots against you and he tries to prevent your movement and he tries to prevent your spiritual progress. How many of you can say, oh, I'm in a fight today, but guess what? It's a good fight. And you know why it's a good fight? It's because victory is not up for question. Victory is already guaranteed. Amen. See, Paul knew as Christians, we don't fight for victory. We fight because of the victory. We don't fight to get victory. Christ has already done that. We stand in his victory. Amen. So the victory is not up to me. It's already been done in Jesus. So that means when I want to back up and give up ground, you know what I'm giving up? I'm giving up ground. Christ has already won. That's why God says in all your standing, do what? Stand. Stand your ground. You know why? Because it's victorious ground. Stand your ground because it's already won in Christ. And that's why Paul can say, I have fought the good agony. I have fought the good fight. I've ran this race. Look what he says next. I've, I've ran the race. I finished the race. What's he referring to? 1 Corinthians 9, the incorruptible crown. Do you not know that 
Every race, there's one winner, but this race that we're running in Christianity, every person can win. And what will you win? The incorruptible crown. So Paul tells Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Be instant in season, out of season. Be ready. Do, do your work as God calls you to do. Why? Because you are fighting this fight that's already been guaranteed to win. Because you're running this race that you're going to win the crown, the incorruptible crown. And then what's he say? I've kept the faith. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, I have maintained. I have maintenance this truth. I have stayed loyal to the truth of God's word. I have kept the faith. How many of you will have the testimony? I kept the faith. James Dobson, who's now up in years himself, I was reading about his father, who when his father passed away, do you know what they wrote on the man's headstone? I never met his dad. I never heard his dad speak. I only know one fact about James Dobson's father, but it tells me everything about the man. They wrote, he prayed. What a tombstone. What a legacy. He kept the faith. He prayed. He says in verse 4, verses 3 and 4 of 2 Timothy 4, he tells young Timothy, people are going to accumulate for themselves. So have itching ears. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers that will suit their own lusts, their own passions. Let me tell you something. If you just want to hear what you want to hear, this isn't the church for you. You need to go to a feel-good church. And there's a lot of feel-good churches. I'm not trying to make you feel good. We're trying to get you to repent because it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Amen. We're not a feel good church. We don't try to be a feel good church. We preach the truth. And Paul said that there are going to be some that they abandon the truth. They reject the truth. They walk away from the truth and they wander off into myths. That's what he says in verse 4. People will wander off into myths. Paul says, no, I have fought the good fight. I have kept, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In other words, I have maintained the truth. I've maintenanced the truth. It's been priority. I've cared for it. I have stayed loyal to the faith, loyal to the truth. Will that be your testimony? Then he says in verse number 8, look at the conclusion. Henceforth. There is laid up for me. I love that. There's laid up for me. What did Jesus say? Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. He said, don't lay up for yourselves riches on the earth, treasures on the earth. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. See, some people have come to me and they said, Pastor Chad, you know, I'm trying to understand this, this series, Eternal Rewards, but I don't really understand. I mean, is it not selfish to desire rewards in heaven? Could that not be prideful to want to rewards in heaven? Not when Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. It's at the Father's invitation. It's what God wants for us. Amen. Lay up for yourselves. 1 Peter 1.4. Listen to what Peter wrote. He said, you and I have an inheritance. See, that's the reward. That's the eternal rewards. You and I have an inheritance that is incorruptible. 
that is unfading and that is reserved in heaven. It is kept in heaven. It is safe and secure. Amen. It's an inheritance. It's our reward. And Paul says, what is laid up for me there? What's he saying? I have lived my life here for what is reserved for up there. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Oh, I desire that. Now, he says there's a crown of righteousness. Now, what's his crown of righteousness? Now, remember, you and I are going to be given crowns. First Peter, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 4, 10 and 11. You and I one day will take the crowns, these overcomer wreaths, and you and I will take our crowns and we'll present them at the feet of Jesus. That would be the most supreme act of worship in our entire existence. Many of us worshiped from the depths of our soul this morning. But what we experience this morning will fail in comparison to what the worship of heaven will be in the very presence of the person of Jesus. Amen? And he says, this crown of righteousness, which the Lord... Oh, I love that. You know what that tells me? Angels are not going to issue crowns. Did you know that? The elders are not going to issue crowns. The four living creatures will not issue crowns. Archangels will not issue crowns. Do you know who is going to commend you personally? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5. It is the Lord Jesus that will personally reward you. Not angels. Jesus. Can you imagine what that day is going to truly be? So he says, this crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge. Now, I want you to think about this. The righteous judge. I have met people, a number of people before, that I've sat down with, counseled with, that they've come. They've either wanted to counsel or debate. And I've sat down with people who have told me, I have no problem with God. My problem is with Jesus. Then, my friends, you have an eternal problem. Do you know what Jesus said in John 5, 22? Jesus said, the Father judges no one. But the Father has given the Son all judgment. Do you know why? The crown of righteousness is so vital because no one will enter heaven apart from being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And do you know what's going to determine whether you enter the gates of heaven? Not St. Pete. Do you know what scripture says that St. Peter is by the pearly gates? There's not one. Do you know who will determine whether you enter the gates of heaven? Christ, the righteous judge. This is why I desire righteousness. Do you know what righteousness means? It means to be in right standing with God. 
To ask yourself if you have received the righteousness of Jesus. To ask yourself if you have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Then ask yourself this question. Can you stand upright before Jesus and be presented before him? If there is any sin that makes you coward away, if there's any sin that makes you run away from God, then my friends, you need the righteousness of Jesus. My little boys yesterday, Hudson and John Mark, they are thicker than thieves. And they're, they may end up in the same place thieves end up together. I don't know. <laughs> Sadie had a guest service training here yesterday at the church. And my little boys, who are five and four, Sadie emptied a big cooler out there at the parking lot at the rocks. And my two little boys come running in the doors like they had done something. And a car comes in and comes and a man and his wife walks into the church and tells me that my boys threw ice at their cars as he drove by. <laughs> to which I said, I'm sorry, they are deacons, kids. I apologize. I made the boys apologize to them. Of course, they're crying. They know how much trouble they're in. John Mark, who's four, tells me he don't want to go to jail. <laughs> we eat dinner last night. We get Chick-fil-A, the Lord's chicken, hallelujah. Amen. And John Mark goes, wait, we got to pray. And John Mark prays. And he says, I love mommy. And he said, I won't throw no more ice at cars. I'll behave. Okay. <laughs> That'll hold like water. And uh, the other day, oh, I got to tell you this, and then, then I'll move on. Hudson, the other day, we're, we're in the car coming home, and Hudson, who's five, he says, Dad, I want to get saved right now. And I said, that's fine. I'm thinking it's probably going to take two, three more times with you before it sticks, but all right, we'll do it. <laughs> And we pray, and he asks Jesus into his little heart, and I lead him in the prayer. The next morning, we're going to school, and Hudson says, I'm going to tell my teacher I got saved. And I said, that's great, buddy. He said, and Dad, you got saved too. <laughs> I said, I did. He said, yes, you prayed too. I said, it was a great day. <laughs> All right. Anyways. So, so, <laughs> so I get up this morning and uh, John Mark comes in the living room at 6.30 and he lays down beside me and he starts to go back to sleep and I'm working on my sermon on my device and he lifts up his little head and he said, and he said, I'll never throw ice at another car. And I could tell it's bothering him. And I said, John Mark, I said, I forgive you. And I said, have you asked Jesus to forgive you? And he said, I, I did. And I said, then John Mark, he has. It's done. You're good. Amen.
Some of you, listen. Some of you ask God to forgive you for the same sin over and over. Things that happened way back. You need to stand in your forgiveness. See, righteousness means it's not your doing. It's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness that God gives you. And I can feel by the Holy Spirit, God wants you to know today you are forgiven. Stand up, lift your head, and stand in the righteousness of Jesus. Amen. Can we thank the Lord for that today? The righteous judge. Listen to what he says. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on when? That day. Capital D. Day. Why that day? Because that's the Bema judgment seat of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. That's the judgment seat of Christ. That after Christ comes, the trumpet sounds, the church is gathered around the throne of God. Revelation 4, Revelation 5. What happens between Revelation 3? That's the church of Laodicea. That's the seven churches of Revelation. What happens after Revelation 3? There's no more church mentioned until Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. What happens in between that gap? The Bema judgment seat of Christ, Revelation 4, 5, and the seven-year tribulation. See, while the earth is in chaos and judgment, read it. You and I will be before the throne of God, receiving rewards for a life well lived on this earth. Amen. That day, judgment day, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema judgment seat, 2 Corinthians 5. Now, Look what he says. Paul says, again, echoing 1 Corinthians 9, not only will Paul receive that reward, but who else will? All those. Every one of us who love the appearing of Jesus. Every one of us who cry out, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So let, do I have a few minutes to teach this? Okay, let me, let me hurry. All right. Are you in a hurry? If you're in a hurry, you can just leave. I'll never see you. You won't hurt my feelings. You, I mean, seriously, you can just slip out. You, it, tell somebody, say, I'm going to the bathroom. I'll be back next week. And you won't hurt our feelings at all. Okay. So, so watch this, because this is really beautiful. People, when you say the return of Jesus, it's a mixture of emotions for most people. A lot of people feel a great discomfort about it because it's unfamiliar. They don't know what to expect. And so they feel discomforted by it. No, that ought not be because the scriptures say in Thessalonians, comfort one another, encourage one another with these words. Hebrews says, as you see the day approaching, encourage one another. As you see the day drawing near. We ought not to be discomforted by the coming of Jesus. Some people are in denial. Some people are scoffers. They say, well, if Jesus was going to come back, he would have done it years and years ago. Oh, everybody talk. Oh, the Christians are always saying Jesus is going to come. He's ne No, they, they're in denial. But let me tell you, the Bible is as crystal clear as it can be. Christ says, I will come again. Yeah. Period. 
Have you signed up for my weekly devotional email? Every Tuesday, I send out a devotion that will help you grow in your faith. Go to my website, awakentograce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and when you sign up and submit your email, you'll get a direct message from me every Tuesday. Sign up today at awakentograce.com.